Welcome to the Break F1 podcast. This is our first actual episode. And to start off with, uh, why do you need another Formula One podcast? Well, I've got three reasons that I think make a little bit of sense. One, there are a lot of podcasts out there, but this one will be different. First of all, I want to lean on 10 years of Formula One experience and kind of start with the data and then define the discussions around that. And I'll do my best to frame things in a way so that it's clear when something is speculation. And then I'll let you know when I think something is probably true. So I, th I think that will give you guys a little bit more uh, help navigating the weird, technical, complicated world of Formula One. And we'll make it easy here. And number two, I'm already making technical Formula One content on video platforms. So if you search for a break with three R's, You'll find me pretty much everywhere, including YouTube, but I felt like the audio listeners needed some love because I usually listen to podcasts in the car or when I'm running or cycling or doing chores. I don't usually have YouTube up. And then the final, probably the most important one, which ties back into the first point, data is awesome. F1 teams need data. Formula One fans can also find a whole new level of appreciation for the sport if we start objectively. And also, if you want some extra vibes and laughs, you should also check out my other podcast, the Engine Breaking Podcast, with my good friend Dan, aka Engine Mode 11. But this podcast here is going to be straight up nerding out. So what can you expect from this episode? Well, this episode is going to be pretty much entirely focused on the Qatar Grand Prix itself. I'm not going to talk too much about qualifying or the sprint or the sprint race. But in the future, I'm going to try to bring some other F1 experts, Formula One creators to help add to the story and the conversation and give you guys more exposure to what goes on in the world inside of the Formula One bubble. And also to talk about some of the cutting edge stuff happening outside of Formula One, because I feel like content creators are shaping the way that we're viewing sports now. And I think some of these people would be great to get their perspective on the whole thing. I'd love to share that with you. Additionally, if you want even more data alongside the visuals and my analysis, be sure to check out break.com with three R's and that'll send you over to my buy me a coffee platform. It's kind of like Patreon. If you're a visual learner, I think there's a lot of value in there for you and uh, just check it out. So let's get into the Qatar Grand Prix. And before we deep dive into the details, like here's just kind of like my overall summary and headline points from the race. In general, I don't think it was a particularly exciting race, but there's still plenty that we can learn from it. The race strategy was dictated by the maximum tire life uh, implied by Pirelli because the tires were effectively deemed not safe to run. After Friday, uh, in the practice sessions, they cut the tires and sectioned them, which the teams are not allowed to destructively test the tires. Only Pirelli can do that. And they found that they had structural issues. So as a result of this, Pirelli said, all right, you cannot run a tire for more than 18 laps in the race, or it can't exceed more than 18 laps of total use. And there's some nuances to that. But in short, uh, the mandated stint length removed basically any strategy possibilities the medium and hard tires couldn't be used to their full extent and then most of the hard stints from a performance point of view could have been very reasonably extended like substantially in terms of the overall pace order at the front i think it's kind of difficult to pick out further back than that but uh, verstappen clearly out front the mclarens how close were they we'll talk about that mercedes or well, at least of george looked pretty reasonable and then Honestly, the Ferrari looked a little bit Pinoer this week, and we'll talk more about that. But I think an interesting topic that we're going to dig into is Russell with a really, really excellent recovery drive. And there's a couple of reasons why he did so well of that, especially if you look at, for example, Perez. Um, Perez started from the pit lane on hard tires, and Russell went to the back after his collision with Hamilton. Um, McLaren take their second 2-3 of the weekend. They got that one in the sprint as well. 
their pace was fantastic. And it's not clear to me whether or not yet that Max had more pace in the bag. And we need to go through some of the race data to understand that. That being said, McLaren's single lap pace was was strong. Their race pace was also strong. So let's let's see what happens. Now, going on from that point, the start of the race, a lot of people had the narrative that the race was flat out and the drivers were pushing like hell for the whole race. The start of the race, I do believe, had a reasonable amount of pace management. And there was also probably a little bit of track evolution. But I think the guys at the front were uh, playing it a little bit safe. Another talking point, which I'm not going to go into too much, if you want to see everybody's thoughts on it on Twitter, along with some really terrible takes, um, many drivers physically struggled with the extreme conditions, struggling to get out of the car, Sergeant retired from illness, uh, several other drivers reporting symptoms aligned with heat stroke, people you know, going to the medical center after the race, and also some of them passing out, so... Yeah, I'm I'm not too thrilled about that. And I think we should avoid that in the future. I don't think this is the point of Formula One. So quickly, the Pirelli mandated tire life explained. As I said, they had structural issues observed on the tires. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for this. One, the circuit has a huge high speed section. And honestly, there's a lot of cornering demand on the circuit. Lots of stress to these tires. But the main culprit appears to be the huge 50 millimeter. So it's about two inch pyramid curbs on the exit of turn 12 and 13 um, Saturday they moved the track limits inboard so that you would get a track limits penalty if you use these curbs effectively but yeah the Pirelli said you can't use more than 18 laps on a tire for the race they did make one concession for tires that were previously used the in and out laps weren't counted so if you ran a medium that you carried over to, as a race set and you had done like let's say a five lap run which included the in and out lap, they would say, okay, that tire's only used three laps. So to make this easier for all the teams, Pirelli supplied a table of each tire set and the laps remaining on it. Um, that's floating around on Twitter. And if you're a Buy Me A Coffee subscriber, um, that, that document's also, I've copied that in there. Um, the interesting thing was they didn't allow any, um, say for example, we had a safety car, just to make it clear, you didn't get like extra laps back if there was a safety car. And the result for exceeding the laps limit was a black flag and disqualification. So the FIN teams and Pirelli said, do not go over this limit. And honestly, the the net result of this, and I won't go on too much more about it later in the, the podcast, but this effectively removed all strategy variation. Uh, pitting on any stint early increases the likelihood that you have to do another stop. But for the most part, most people were doing 14 to 18 laps on every tire, and you could tell when another car had to stop. So it kind of removed any of the guessing you could understand when people might undercut or go for the stop. And to be fair, the tires weren't getting into any drop off anyway. So that wasn't great. And my other thoughts on this, this is another great example why refueling is not good for Formula One, especially if the tank size is limited. Um, one of the things that refueling does is, you know, on most circuits, you might have a maximum tank fuel life of like 12, 15 or 20 laps. And that basically just says, this is when you're going to stop. And you can redo the tires so the way they have more degradation. So, you know, you, you might be incentivized to run shorter than full tank stops. But I just don't, I don't think this is the way. What we need is strategy variability. Two to three stops is ideal with multiple viable strategy sequences. And the main problem we've had this year is sometimes the hard tire can do an entire race without a stop. And I'm fairly certain that some races, the medium could almost do an entire race. So, you know, the cars with a huge pace advantage can just manage out front, not have to worry about anything. And they, they can cover all the opportunities because they have so much pace in hand. Um, 
you know, and some some pundits have been and experts have been suggesting that we should use the hard, medium, and soft. That should be mandated. But again, this does the exact same thing. And it goes back to the tires. The tires should not be able to do a one stop or no stop race. Um, but if you force drivers to use all three compounds, you're effectively forcing all teams to have to run a, a two stop, which doesn't make any sense. You've removed flexibility. What we want is to add flexibility. We want the we want the option for a team like a Williams to hang a driver out on a one stop because those are quite exciting seeing how those pan out. And if you mandate a two stop, it's like great you've basically forced everybody into the exact same strategy so i think that makes the whole thing worse now what i'm going to do is kind of the race timeline is pretty straightforward and then i've got a couple of topics that i want to dig into but the race basically was paris started from the pit lane because he changed power unit components so they sent him to the back signs had fuel cell issues i think he was leaking fuel so uh signs does not even start the race now on the race start hulkenberg pulls up into sides grid spot which should have been left empty and this is not a surprise i feel like everybody should have known that so whether it was on hulkenberg's race engineers to remind him that that slot would be empty don't take it up but the fact that they didn't even think about this discuss it or if maybe just hulkenberg messed up it's just has with crazy silly operational mistakes that formula one teams shouldn't make I agree. Everybody makes mistakes, but they seem to make a lot of them like going back to spa, um, you know, failing to set qualifying laps in the sprint qualifying and the qualifying session because of timings. It's just like, it's amazing. The rest of the race was basically heat strokes, track limits, track limits, sergeant retiring uh, due to illness from the conditions. So that's kind of that. So let's get into a couple of points from the race. Now, let's start. Let's talk about the race start because the race start was a little bit chaos. We had Hamilton colliding with Russell. It was interesting to see that basically Hamilton was trying to prevent Russell from getting a run uh, on the start finish straight. And then they go into the corner and I think Hamilton put his hand up. He just misjudged that. And I, I, everybody wanted to dig into that like it was some big drama. It was a drama, but it happens. And uh George was able to go back and have a pretty good recovery drive, which we're going to talk about. Other, a lot of cars made up a lot of positions on the start. Uh, Piastri going from P6 to P2 was another great one, but also Magnussen up four on the start, Norris up four on the start, Hulkenberg up four on the start. So pretty, pretty good from them. So the questions that I want to dig into are, were McLaren really that fast? We'll talk about that. If Mercedes were both in the fight, would they have been able to challenge for the win? There was a couple of... Uh, really interesting fan sites, Twitter accounts talking about that. They could have won, which, yeah, I'll let my opinion be known on that shortly. Um, and then Ferrari, like what's going on with them? So to start off, let's talk about the top five of the race. Um, everybody but Verstappen pit around lap 12. Verstappen did a 17 lap first stint. Sunoda kind of kicked off the pit stop sequence behind them around lap 10. And then everybody back there, so Piastri, Norris, um, and, and Leclerc were just kind of covering. It wasn't really, I don't think they wanted to stop there, but they were worried that they that Tsunoda would have a little bit more pace and he would effectively undercut them. And, and really, the, the fixed stint length kind of made this a boring race. For Stappen's main advantage was that he did have the gap to extend his first stint. However, looking at the data, the pace and lap times, his final lap on that first stint was a second faster than any other lap that he had done. He had plenty of pace in hand, and I think he was being quite conservative. Also, if we look at the pace 
from the fuel corrected lap times, which I'm looking at now and are available in the Buy Me a Coffee report, the first half of the race, I believe Verstappen and the McLarens were kind of managing. And on McLaren's third stint, they really put the hammer down. Um, and Max with a slow stop on the second or f- first or second stop. And McLaren obviously setting that 1.80 second world record stop two hundredths of a second faster than Red Bull's previous record uh, really helped them close up the gap to Max in that second stint. And then the final stint, they were very close within like two seconds. But looking at the fuel corrected data, the track did improve a little bit, but definitely, definitely the front of the field were managing the pace at the start of the race. And also just kind of talking about Ferrari struggling, um, Ferrari's Ferrari's medium stint for Leclerc at the end of the race was slower than McLaren on the hard. There was something not right with the Ferraris this weekend. A lot of speculation was that it was down to the Ferrari struggling in windier conditions, which I have seen in the past that certain cars are more wind sensitive than the others objectively from the data. But the weather station data that we have from the FIA is completely useless in terms of wind. So we can't really say too much. And the reason I don't have a whole lot more to say about this race is the fixed stint length completely ruined this Grand Prix for me. There was nothing exciting. Everything was more or less predictable. There was a couple of unpredictable things, which we'll get back to, but it just kind of sucked the fun out of this race. But going back to the point, at the end of the race, the McLarens were right up for Stappen's gearbox like i think there were two seconds off on that final stint the mclaren drivers were told to hold station to bring home the two three which i kind of agree with at this point but i think the mclarens were mighty in that final stint and honestly throughout the whole race but it was a bit strange that verstappen did almost a full stint on the hard new hard tire at the end and then he saved they saved his new medium and only ran six laps on it at the end and he didn't appear to have that much more pace he was matched with mclaren's holding them at about you know a two second gap i i think the mclaren are coming i think they might be able to win a race this season on outright pace maybe if red bull i mean it could be down to red bull making a pit stop decision incorrectly that gives mclaren an advantage or you know a lucky safety car or something but i think i think mclaren are close enough to be in the mix there now, at the end of the race, Verstappen did make some comments. I didn't. I don't know where I saw the headline, but something along the lines of McLaren seemed closer because of the stint limit. And I can see that because we talked about it at the beginning. Like at the beginning of the race, Max appears to have been able to open up a bigger gap. They just didn't want to burn the tires too early and be, you know, force themselves into longer stints at the end. But I think they, I think they had it covered. But McLaren is coming, honestly. Now, the, the next question is, is if Mercedes, both of them were in the fight, would they have been able to challenge for the win? Um, the Mercedes seemed a little bit more variable throughout the weekend, but I think they could have been racing the McLarens, like properly giving them a headache, which would have just made things easier for Red Bull. If they had started the race and held on to 2-3 behind Verstappen, would they have been able to challenge him? I think they would have been in a similar position to the McLarens, and the McLarens would have then been giving them trouble. But... I think McLaren has massively improved. Aston Martin has fallen off and Mercedes has basically held their gap to the front. And I did a little video on that the other week talking about the Aston Martin and the McLaren. But I I think you'll find both those on YouTube. And I think the descriptions and the visuals make that pretty clear that, you know, the, the back marker teams have fallen off. But Mercedes is about holding their gap to Red Bull. Now, let's quickly go back and compare and contrast um, the Mercedes of Russell 
as he effectively starts from the back after lap one, and Perez, who starts from the pit lane. There's a couple of different things that are going on here, but here's my uh, too long, didn't read version in, uh, in my report. Perez accumulates 15 seconds of penalties from off-track limits. If he removed his penalties outright and just subtracted 15 seconds, he would have finished 7th. But also considering that some of these penalties pushed him further back into traffic, I think he could have fared a little bit better. But in general, Perez looked to be on the struggle bus in qualifying, sprint qualifying. It was not a good weekend for Checo. Now, in terms of their recovery drives, I think this is the crux. Perez started on a hard in traffic, and I think starting on the hard is very similar to what we saw with the medium runners in the sprint race. At the restarts and at the race start, the medium tires struggled more, the soft could fire up more quickly, and I think you kind of saw it with Russell having a medium tire, he made up much more progress than Checo. Like, before the leaders started to pit, Russell had made it up to P10, and Perez was still sitting back in 13, like Russell drove through him. Perez does start on a new hard, so he has more laps than Russell's first stint. And Mercedes actually, they their medium sets, they had some of the most used medium sets that they had to get through, which was, which was not great for them. But the other thing that was weird to me is Russell had a, a new medium and a new hard that he ran to full length. But Checo goes new hard, 14 laps on a used medium, 12 laps on a used medium, and then he saves his new medium for the end of the race. And I guess that's good when it kind of covers you off and you don't know when you're going to stop because you're waiting for pit stop gaps. But ultimately, Checo's five-second penalties ruined his gaps anyway because, you know, you, you go until you can pit ahead of the next group of cars. And then if you have to hold for five seconds, you're literally thrown back into that group of cars. Um, but yeah, Checo's pace, even on the medium on stint three, was not great at all. I mean, he was about a second off of Russell on the hard, so hard to say um yeah russell also at the end of the race russell fit a soft which was interesting and that was terrible and i can't tell if he was completely knackered because you saw him resting his hands on his steering wheel with, with his trying to get air down his suit he had his visor open on the track which is dangerous but i guess that's less dangerous than blacking out on circuit but yeah i i don't know if the soft was the play or not it didn't look particularly good honestly a great recovery drive from russell and a Overall, not great weekend uh, for Perez. One of those definitely to forget. Now, let's let's talk about one that I, I don't think got a whole lot of love during the race, or maybe I missed it, but the Alfa Romeo uh, moved up massively. Joe goes from P19 to P9 on the race start, and that's huge, and that kind of underpins you know, his, his whole race entirely, getting points. Uh, Bottas starts on the soft and hops off of that super early. I don't know if he had damage, um, but uh, yeah, I think getting off the soft tire early was a good idea either way. Now, the other thing is Joe had plenty of new tires. Joe had new medium, new hard, new hard, and then he did a soft at the end, which really didn't offer any advantage, and he was not able uh, to overtake anyone on that, so he kind of lost track position. I think they wanted to do better, but... The soft was not the play there. But as a result of this great finish for the team, getting a little haul of points, they have overtaken Haas in the Constructors' Championship. So I thought that was worth a mention. But, you know, realistically looking at pace, they were back in the traffic and the gaggle of cars. And looking at Alfa Romeo's development this season, they have not been able to develop even close to anywhere on the front. And if you look at the cars in the back, Alfa Tauri, Alfa Romeo, and the Haas, they're literally 
bleeding lap time from the race leaders at every qualifying session at an increasing rate, which has some interesting implications or questions to be asked about the cost cap. Does it work for these teams? Are these teams anywhere close to spending on the cost cap? And is it a money problem or is it a technology, tools, processes, and engineering problem, honestly? And then moving on next, uh, let's talk quickly about the Alpine. Uh, Gasly in the race goes from P7 to P12, and Ocon goes from P8 to P7, but uh, a decent result for them. Ocon has a great start making it up to P5, while Gasly holds P7. Now, they're forced to stop around after 10 laps to cover Tsunoda. Their tires would have allowed them to go 15 laps, but probably they could have stayed out and uh, maybe got an undercut done, but I don't think that made a whole lot of difference to them. Uh, Gasly's pace and performance was great, except he accumulates 20 seconds worth of penalties throughout the race from track limits. Um, And I could be wrong, but it looks like he serves five seconds at the final stop, but only 10 seconds has been applied to his final race time. So maybe I've missed one of those somewhere, or maybe uh, they they lost out on that. In terms of their pace, I think Alpine are clearly outside of, you've got Red Bull, McLaren, Mercedes, Ferrari, Aston, uh, I think the Alpines are behind the Astons, even though Astons have fallen off massively. But it, it was it was a decent result for them, um, capitalizing on not having Perez up there and not having Hamilton up there. Ultimately, is uh, what happened. And Gasly had a little bit of a scrappy race from all of the penalties, which, just like Haas or just like anybody else, you can't afford penalties like this. Uh, coming towards the track limits violations. Uh, after So here's how that works in case you're missing it. After four track limits violations, you get a five-second penalty. And then every track limits after that, you get a five-second penalty. Uh, we had Gasly with seven, Perez with six, Stroll with five, Albon with five, and then Sargent and all those guys had three. But there was something like over 50 track limits, I think. Which, on one hand, I understand. I hear the argument, you know, the drivers are the best drivers in the world. They should be able to keep it in the track limits. But at the same time, at most of these circuits, going over these curbs or going outside of the track limits, you don't gain any time. You actually go slower. So, yes, it's an effective, consistent way of policing this. And they've added cameras to make it. They can have much quicker feedback on this and the, the problematic areas. But at the same time, it just makes qualifying annoying to follow and it makes the races painful, but at the same time, you have you know Max getting none, and then his teammate getting six, uh, Ocon getting one, and Gasly getting seven. So I, I think that it is down to the drivers to the risk reward is you know take take the margin, don't take everything out of the lap. But at the same time, it's just it's so frustrating to always see this like oh track limit, sorry you lost your time. I get it, but I also don't get it. All in all, Max Verstappen takes the Grand Prix win. Uh, Piastri and Norris stand on the podium with him for the second time this weekend. Russell recovers to fourth. Great drive by him, honestly. Um, Leclerc, five. Alonso, six. Ocon, seven. Bottas, eight. Joguanyu, ninth. And Perez gets tenth. So looking at the end of the race, the final order, um, car 18, 10 seconds. Car 10, 10 seconds. Car 23, 10 seconds. Car 11, uh, five second penalty these are all applied after the race so the leaderboard if you turned off the tv got shuffled around massively for me this was not a particularly memorable race the only thing i'm going to remember is pirelli's blowing up um and drivers 
fatiguing massively. McLaren closing the gap in terms of single lap and race pace. I don't think they're there yet, but hopefully next year they're fighting Red Bull. I hope Mercedes have a philosophy change and can get back up there. And maybe, maybe, maybe Aston will find a bit as well. And I don't know what Ferrari's excuse is at this point. Um, But yeah, unfortunately, Pirelli are set to be the sole supplier until at least 2027 with an option for 2028 is what the press is saying. So who knows? So as far as what's up next for the podcast, I will actually, I've been invited out to Austin next week for the Grand Prix to do some pretty cool stuff. So I'll be sharing that on Instagram as it happens. I'm sure I'll have some stuff for YouTube and heck, I might even find some other F1 creators or people and record an episode while I'm out there. But I've got to, I've got to work that magic while I'm here um, and get some stuff lined up for next week. I've got some really cool plans and I'll be able to share those with you soon, but who knows? The analytical content next week may be a little bit late because I will be at the circuit doing some cool stuff on Saturday and Sunday. Um, I definitely won't be going out and having any beers or barbecue in the evening, so I'm definitely going to do that. So the uh, newsletter might be a little bit late as well, but I think we'll get some cool stuff out of it. So if you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a five-star rating and tell your Formula One friends about the Break F1 podcast. And I can't wait to share even more of these discussions with you guys in a laid-back audio platform so you can consume it at your leisure and keep you objectively and analytically up-to-date on the world of Formula One. And if you've got any suggestions for the podcast, um, join the Discord. Um, There's a link in my solo too. Find me, at me on Twitter. Send me a DM. Who knows? And uh, I'll see you guys soon. Thanks for listening.